1: It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in store Thursday, May 16th. Just in
3: time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show.
4: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's August 11th. Anne Lister wrote her first diary entry on this day in 1806. You might not have heard of Anne Lister's diary, but you might have heard of Samuel Pepys' diary. Samuel Pepys started keeping a diary on January 1st of 1660 and it became this really fascinating and sometimes hilarious chronicle of life in London, along with news from other major cities. Now it's a required reading in a lot of English classes and history classes. Anne Lister's diaries did the same thing. They're a chronicle of what life was like in Halifax, West Yorkshire, and the greater world from 1817 to 1840. Some of this is her own personal life, what was going on at her family home of Shibden Hall. There's reports of the weather, conversations with workmen, disputes with the neighbors, local news and happenings. But also these diaries document her many romantic relationships with other women, on January 29th of 1821, she wrote, quote, I love and only love the fairer sex, and thus, beloved by them in turn, my heart revolts from any other love than theirs. Especially in her early years, so a lot of these relationships were very tumultuous. Her first love, Eliza Rain, tragically spent a lot of her life in an institution after her relationship with Anne. So Anne does not always come off very well in these diaries. But they're so important. She kept them up for more than 20 years and they went on for thousands of pages and they give us a look at the inner life of a woman that some people describe as the first modern lesbian at a time when the word lesbian wasn't even being used in this way. She was so far ahead of her time in so many ways. She ran the estate at Shibden Hall including a coal mining operation which was not a typical occupation for a woman at all. But she also had a sense that her attraction to other women was this intrinsic part of herself, that it meant something about her. And this was at a time when society at large had no concept of sexual orientation or a lesbian identity. She also traveled really extensively in places that were not really expected for women to be traveling unaccompanied by any men or at all. In her later years, this was in the company of her wife, Anne Walker. So it's true, there was no legal framework for two women to be married to each other, but the two Anne's exchanged rings at the Holy Trinity Church in Goodrum Gate in York on Easter Sunday, 1834. And from that point on, they lived together clearly as a married couple, including renting a pew together in the front row of their parish church. There are a couple of editions of Anne Lister's diaries that are in print today where people can read selections from them. A lot of the material is from her relatively earlier life and from her travels. It's not all that likely that there will be a comprehensive edition of the entire diaries anytime in the near future. Number one, they are extremely long. Her handwriting is also quite a challenge to read, which makes transcribing the diaries a little difficult. There's also that whole matter of code. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on these episodes. And you can learn more about Anne Lister, including what happened when her diaries were first decoded in the late 19th century, because she did write them in code, on the January 29th, 2018 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And you can subscribe to the Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a famous invention that's associated with someone who didn't actually invent it.
3: Hi there. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we sift through the artifacts of history seven days a week. The day was August 11th, 1965. When a white California Highway Patrol officer arrested a Black man on suspicion of driving while intoxicated, Tensions raised between Los Angeles police and residents of the predominantly Black Watts neighborhood. That night, unrest bred riots in South Central Los Angeles that continued for several days. At the time, Los Angeles was wrapped up in a web of social, economic, and political issues. Schools were integrated, but 99% of the students that went to the high school that served Watts were Black. Jobs were scarce and poverty was rampant in Los Angeles. There were discriminatory housing practices. White gangs and Black gangs fought as more Black people moved into Los Angeles neighborhoods. And numerous instances of discriminatory police force and police brutality drew a clear division between law enforcement and Black and Latino residents of L.A. Los Angeles Police Chief William Parker used the term the Thin Blue Line to describe the role of the police as the barrier between civilization and anarchy. All of this Los Angeles-specific turmoil, on top of the effects of the Great Migration and long history of American racism, formed the backdrop for the riots that broke out in Watts in 1965. On the evening of August 11th, a California Highway Patrol officer stopped Watts resident Marquette Frye and his brother Ronald for alleged reckless driving. Marquette failed field sobriety tests, and the officer arrested him. The Fry's home was nearby, and soon their mother, Rena Price, came to the scene of the incident at the intersection of Avalon Boulevard and 116th Street. The officer had called for backup, and another officer arrived. As the intensity of the struggle between the Fry's and the officers escalated, a crowd began to gather at the scene. More officers had arrived and were hitting the brothers with batons. An officer pulled out a gun and Price jumped on an officer. In the end, Rena, Marquette, and Ronald were arrested. But the crowd had grown confrontational. People protested as the police cars drove away with the Fry family. Anger directed toward the offending police officers turned into general rioting in Watts and mostly Black neighborhoods in South Central LA. The Fry family was released on bail the morning after they were arrested. Community leaders and police met to discuss the incident and quell unrest, but the rioting did not stop. Some residents went head to head with LA police. Others targeted white motorists who yelled racial profanities at them. White-owned businesses that were disliked in the communities were also targets of arson and looting. The National Guard was called out to stop the rioting. Law enforcement put up blockades and threatened the use of deadly force. Riders threw Molotov cocktails and shot at firefighters, and police conducted raids and shot rioters. Police even surrounded a Nation of Islam mosque and shot hundreds of rounds of ammunition inside, wounding 19 people. A curfew zone of more than 46.5 square miles was established, and being on the streets after 8 p.m. became an arrestable offense. By August 15th, rioting had largely ended. In less than a week of rioting, there were more than 1,000 injuries, nearly 4,000 arrests, and 34 deaths, most of which were Black people. The cost of damage was estimated as tens of millions of dollars. Police Chief Parker said the rioters were like, quote, monkeys in a zoo. The news media and authorities provided different opinions on the causes and rationale of the riots. Detractors blamed them on Black criminals and the influx of Black people and said that the looting and arson was unwarranted and foolish. Some said that the rioting was incited by gangs or Black Muslims. Others pointed to the longstanding racial tensions in Los Angeles. And some people noted the poverty, growing discontent with social conditions and alienation in the city that could give rise to such an intense rebellion. After the riots, a commission was formed to investigate the riot and its causes, and it suggested improvements in schools, housing, healthcare, and other sectors. President Lyndon B. Johnson called for a war on poverty, allocating federal funds to reduce poverty. But there was not a big push to address the problems listed in the report or to rebuild the areas that were affected by the riots. Significant efforts to combat police brutality and address social issues gained steam through the activism of locals. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully, you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place tomorrow.
0: work. Zumo Play.